How y'all doing? And welcome back to the Cold Seat Podcast. Where the seats are cold and the takes are hot. Episode 51 here, our first true episode that we've talked about a number of different sports since June 9th, I believe, or so uh, around there. Been a little bit. Um, not going to really touch on it because we already talked about it last week on our Thursday episode. And I'm going to get started here today with um, our normal segment to open the episode, and I'll let you start it. Turning up the heat today. Um, my original turn up the heat was going to be a discussion about Shohei Otani, which we can just have later when we talk about um, some of the baseball stuff with, uh, you know, MVP, Cy Young winners, that kind of thing. We'll talk about that later. I switched this because of conversation we had via text earlier or Instagram DM when I seen something. Uh, it came up because Victor Hovland, after his latest win, was having Chipotle chips and guac like on the green as he's walking off. Elite move, by the way. That said, I sent it to Brett, and I said, I love this man. This is like an iconic move, right? And Brett says, Chipotle and Guac L, but he's great, or something like that. And I'm here to say right now, Guac is an elite dip, so much so it's a top three all time. Might even be two. I love queso, but a good Guac is rarer to come by than a good queso. I'm gonna. I'll, I will. I'll champion that. Additionally, I think guac. I think I think guac kind of gets pushed to the side sometimes by queso and maybe by like a spinach artichoke, artichoke dip, which I know you don't eat. This is people who have a a broader range of a uh, food palate sometimes. I know you don't eat the spinach artichoke, artichoke dip, but a lot of people like it. It's a very popular app at a lot of restaurants, and I'm and salsa is obviously a big one. I think guac gets pushed to the side a little too much. Elite dip, top three all time. And I'll give my other two right now, queso and cream and jalapeno ranch dip at uh, Chewy's. That's that's one that's never being unseated at one, just so everyone's clear. Um, but a good guac. Elite, brother. It's the Chipotle's guac is elite as well, by the way. Top top five guac I've ever had, which is rare because it's such a it's a chain, right? But I'm telling you, guac is elite. So turn up the heat. Guac's a top a top three dip all time, no questions asked. Yeah, I don't – I really have no interest in having guac. I don't think it's that good. But uh, queso is definitely one. Uh, I probably have the same top two as you. I'd say queso is one for sure. But uh, I don't know what I'd put three. Probably just a different kind of queso. Um, you know, because you could, you could do a lot with queso. It is pretty easy to make, like you said. But, yeah, guac, just something about it. Buffalo chicken yeah. also can go up there, I think. That, that's a slept right. on dip sometimes. Right. Easy, easily, easily messed up. We have some friends who make a great buffalo chicken dip that we've had. Um, but I'm keeping it simple. I don't want to get too fancy with my top three, you know? You got to keep it. Sometimes the best dip is a simple dip, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, case is just easy. And it not is. great for you, easily but messed it, up, it works. Very easily messed up. I will say that it is easy to make a subpar queso, right? Yeah. It's harder to make. I don't know. People feel like a queso shouldn't be that hard to make well, but people, you know, do like they screw it up. But it's also That's like true. a lot of people That's make true. good queso. You know, there's, right. there's, yeah. All right. Well, my take is not food related, but uh, go back to back to sports here. Yes, yeah, is a uh, so my. Hot take would be that Texas Tech football, they go 10-2, and two, make a New Year's Six bowl game, the Sugar Bowl versus Georgia, uh, to kind of 
even make my hot take more specific. Um, yeah, I mean, I think 10-2 is the ceiling, personally. I don't think it's realistic that it, that they go undefeated. I mean, we saw it with TCU last year, but even them going undefeated wasn't realistic because just the amount of luck that they had in a lot of their games. Um, but, yeah, I think 10-2 is probably the ceiling. Um, they're going to lose a game that they shouldn't. That's just how it works. Um, yeah, I mean, I, they probably go 8-4, and four, and then I don't know what they do in a bowl game, but probably 8-4 and four heading into a bowl game. Um 10 and 2, get a New Year's Six Bowl berth for sure. Um, and yeah, I'm saying the Sugar Bowl, uh, Big 12 SEC matchup there. We kind of move along. I will, I will clarify Sugar Bowl is a semifinal game this year. So I would assume Big 12 SEC gets pushed probably to probably the Fiesta Bowl, knowing how, I mean, there's no tie in there, right? The only, the only bowl games that have tie ins now is the Orange Bowl gets a tie in. The actually the Peach Bowl probably gets Big 12 SEC, Big 12 or that or the Fiesta Bowl, I would assume. But I did because right. we talked about it last week a lot too, the Sugar Bowl, and yeah. I thought it was I thought it was a, a a New Year's Six game this year, but it's a I mean it is, but it's a playoff game this year. I thought right. it was a um one of the regular bowls, but it's not, which it should. Those should be separate, but that, I digress. We can get back into the you know the regular schedule program. We move into the baseball here. Yeah, no, I they always. Switching the bowls around, hopefully with the twelve-team playoff, it'll be a little more permanent. Um, yeah, but you know, maybe, or, maybe they're well, they make the those bowl. Well, they make those big bowl games. Maybe they just make them like the first, uh, maybe like the top seeds get them as like their bye week. You know, they get the bye week to the to the you know the round of well the quarters. Maybe those become sugar rolls, sugar rose, orange, and fiesta. Maybe those get the the four. I don't know. Spit on. Yeah, I mean. The past two years, we've had the Peach Bowl. Coincidentally, Georgia has been able to play there since the one seed gets to pick which bowl game they play in. Coincidentally, they've had the home game. So maybe they're moving the Sugar Bowl, which is in New Orleans, because LSU is already scripted to be in the playoff, so they can pick a home game. Right on that parade. Florida State I'm just saying. No, no, I, no, no, I hear you, I hear you. If it is scripted, I, you're right. That said... That's still a home game for whatever SEC teams they right. seed. I mean, yeah. And frankly, the, what the other the other the other semifinal game this year is the Rose Bowl. Well, I guess it's really not because if if Michigan or Ohio State is the likely the likely the other the other uh, the other one seed, they're probably still taking New Orleans because they don't want to go to California. Is there a bowl game in uh, Indiana? In the state of Indiana? Yeah, Lucas Oil. Uh, you'd think there would be. Granted, you know, you think a lot that. of things about the bowl season. There's not, which is kind of surprising. Yeah. That there isn't one. Wow. Interesting. Yeah, I would have thought there would be. Of Michigan, but. Well, I mean, they play the Big 12 title game, or Big 10 title game. You'd think there'd be a bowl there. Yeah. College football playoff. If you're listening, you're probably not, but if you are at a bowl game in Indianapolis. Mm-hmm. Anyway, we'll move on here. Right, baseball. Uh, we'll leave that to Thursdays. Um, <laughs> but yeah. MLB, we got a standings update somewhat, a little bit of a revised, um, more relevant standings update. We're going to start with the division leaders. So in the AL, uh, AL West, we have the arguably the hottest team in the league. Seattle Mariners are one up on the Astros, I believe. And the Rangers lost like nine in a row or something. They're in third in the division. Um, tied, 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 they're both tied a game back. So, okay. tied, But yeah, 
Yeah, but the Rangers then, are one, in the, one of their last nine, or one of their last ten. AL Central, the Twins are six up. Um, you know, they're flopping with the Guardians for a while, and they've slowly gotten a few games of separation on them. And AL East, the Orioles are two up. Um, you know, they've been two, two or three up for pretty much the last three weeks. So, um Looking for the Orioles to get a little bigger lead. I want to see the AL West come down to the wire, though. And uh, I don't really care about the AL Central because whoever wins that division isn't going to do anything in the playoffs. So I'll let you get to the NL. But, yeah, I mean, the AL should come down to the wire super close. Uh, we'll get to the wild card in a minute. But it's all really, really close. Anyone can flop spots any day. Yeah, the only thing I'll say with the AL is that um, the West is definitely going to come down to the wire, I think, with those three. I can see one of the three fall out of the pack here in the next week or so. And frankly, it could be any of them. I know the, the Mariners are the hottest or the second hottest team in baseball. And the Rangers are maybe the coldest team in baseball right now. One of their last nine or one of their last ten. One and nine, their last ten games. And the Astros aren't super hot. I mean, they're four and six in their last ten. So one of those teams, I mean, the Mariners could cool off. The Rangers could keep slumping or the, the Astros could kind of slump further. One, one could fall out, and I think um, this two-horse race is really separating the East and then you know, the Central. We're talking about seeing one of the first, since, what, like the 90s, the first time we're going to see a, a team a below 500 winner division, potentially, with Minnesota five games above 500, they could easily drop below it. Yeah. Um, and considering that the you know the Guardians are seven games below 500, they could, they could drop below 500 and still lead the division, So, uh, which is wild. Uh, pretty disappointing kind of output for another, you know, what the third year in a row basically for that whole division. So, um, kind of dating back to 21, the whole division's been a bit of a disappointment. But that said, getting in the National League here, um, Dodgers are 12 up in the National League West, have ballooned their their lead since the start of August or kind of post All Star break of, you know, I think it was start of August they had a two game lead and now they have a 12 game lead, something like that. Um, you know, just a ridiculous, uh, you know, month of month of August for Mookie Betts. I think he's batting like over 500 in the month or like almost 500. Um, he's squarely put himself in the MVP ca- talk category and talk that we'll get to in a minute. Um, Arizona's 12 back there, so it gets a wild card in a second. But in the central, the, Bre- the Brewers are four up, kind of inflated the lead a little bit with the Cubs. Um, they were hot for a while to start August. They cooled off. They've won. They've won seven of their last ten, so they've kind of picked it back up. The Reds have gotten pretty cold in the month of August. They're, you know, 500 in the last 10. Um, but the Brewers really stepped it up. They're probably one of the five hottest teams in baseball right now. Uh, they won eight straight. So, I mean, certainly <laughs> longest winning streak right now. Um, like I said, probably one of the five hottest teams in baseball over the last, you know, two weeks or so. Um, probably getting a comfortable lead there. I would say if they, I think they have a series with Chicago, not this next year, but the series after, I believe. They sweep that series, or I think they take uh, if they win the series, probably put themselves in a really good position to win this, to win the Central. Then in the East, the Braves are still up 12 and a half games on the Phillies, and then the rest of the pack, Braves still have the best record in baseball. Um, I believe they're three and a half games with the Orioles, four games with the Dodgers. Um, actually, Atlanta goes to LA on Friday. I think they play Friday through Monday, so kind of a potentially you know National League one seed deciding series in Los Angeles over the weekend, but. That said, Atlanta has had a comfortable lead kind of the entire year, and it really feels like in a very much the opposite side end of the spectrum of the of the American League. It feels like two of the races are you might as well just hand the Dodgers and the and the, and the Braves the one and two seeds and give them the division titles now. Let them battle it out for one. Um, 
and the Brewers are probably going to settle in to to the Central. I mean, they're hot right now. They've won eight straight. You figure they're going to keep it rolling for another another week or so. Um, maybe not win another seven games in a row, but you know, pick up five of their next seven and kind of get a comfortable lead there in the Central, which is very very much the opposite of the, of the American League, right? You're looking at a one up lead, a two up lead, and a six up lead in, in a Central division that's gone awful. So, um, really a tale of two leagues right now. And um, even when you look at the playoff picture, which we'll kind of move to here with the with the wild card standings, when you look at the playoff picture, it really feels like the National League, it's the Braves, the Dodgers, and everybody else. And you look in the American League, while well, the Orioles and the, and the Rays are both at 80 wins already, you you could look at all the all these playoff teams and go, I could see that team making a run or this team making a run, as opposed to the, the National League feels really top heavy. And when you look at the Phillies, you look at the Cubs, you look at the Diamondbacks and the Giants, and you kind of wonder, can those teams make a run against what the the Braves and the Dodgers are going to do? Kind of in this wild card push with, I mean, Phillies are three and a half up, Cubs are half a game up. Diamondbacks are even in third spot in the National League. And then uh, Giants and Reds are a game and a half back with the Marlins three back. I mean, you know, it's, it's a pretty tight group there. And there's really there's there's very much a lacking like second group of legit contenders in the National League, whereas in the American League, um, you know, you have Orioles and Rays at 80 wins. And then you look at the entire three teams in the West and the Blue Jays and think, wow, those teams could really make a run. So um, just just an interesting dichotomy between the two leagues right now. And um Interesting to see how this wild card kind of plays out between those six clubs where you could really see any of them. Um, you know, it's a six and a half game difference between between six and one in the National League wild card race. So a lot can happen in the next what month of baseball we have left to play. Yeah, for sure. Um, you know, the two wild card races are somewhat different, but also the same. I feel like, like you said, like the AL wild card candidates are a lot stronger. Um, playoff contenders and the NL wildcard candidates. However, the NL is a little closer right now. Um, you know, AL, it's kind of like really just the East and the West that make up these wildcard teams because the Central is not going to have anyone even close as of now, at least. And then the NL, you have really three divisions battling it out to get those three wildcard spots. Um, but yeah, I mean, like you said, it should be fun to see, you know, how it comes down to the wire, who ends up nagging those spots. Um, I just hope the Orioles are a top two seed in the East or in the AL. It's really all I care about. Um, but yeah, we are going to move on here to awards predictions, where we're each going to pick MVPs, Cy Youngs, and rookies for each of the AL and the NL. I'll start it off here. Um, it's fairly easy, although. The injury didn't make it certain. Uh, the AL MVP of Shohei Otani um, seems like that should be the pick. Um, you know, time will tell, but he's done everything to get the award injury or not. Uh, his impact on the team, both on the mound and at the plate, has been, while it might not be helping the team a whole lot because the team is fairly disappointing, um, he's had a huge impact. And whatever team he does decide to go to in the offseason, um, should pay dividends for them as well. Yeah, I mean, he, he's winning the MVP. He's not going to pitch the rest of the year, obviously, but he doesn't really matter. Um, he's got a 5.9 batting war and a, let's see, four pitching war. So he's almost a, he's at not a 9-9 war, and he's not going to pitch the rest of the year. I mean, you don't see guys put together that kind of season that often. Um 
I've seen a lot. I know it's on the top of my head because I've seen a lot recently um, with all the Mookie Betts MVP talk. When he won the MVP in 18, which is statistically one of the greatest seasons I think we've ever seen in the modern era of baseball in the last 30, 40 years, he put up a 10-9 war, which is 10.9 wins above the replacement, like the average player, in 120-something games. He missed 30-something. He played like 120-something, 130-something games. No one's going to break 10 this year other than Shohei because he pitches and he hits. Um, when you look at the other MVP leaders that we'll talk about, with the, you know, in a minute with I me, mean, Corey Seager's a guy who in a normal year where Shohei doesn't have this kind of year, another historical season, he's a guy who's probably winning it. Um, and Marcus Simeon, another one, Yandy Diaz, all these guys have had great seasons, but when you look at like the leaderboards of war, Mookie Betts at 7.4. The next player below him is 1.1 behind him is Acuna and no one's breaking 10 and he had a 10. So this is what Shohei is doing at posting a 10 war and probably going to push it to 11 by the time the season's over is absurd. And he's not going to, he's not going to throw it the pitch. Um, he's going to the MVP was, you know, two in the last three years. Um, there's a case for him to win it last year. It's just that Aaron judge hit 60 bombs, 60 plus bombs on the best team or the second best team in baseball that year, or the third best team in baseball. Um, I mean, you really carried them through the through into the playoffs when they had that rough stretch in what July, August last year. Um, so I mean, for not for that, a, a, a literal historic power season for Marin Judge, Shohei wins three straight. So um, that said, I we'll talk about this this whole injury thing now while we're on it, um, and I'll let you get the NL MVP here in a second. I'll let you start that off as well, since I'm going to take some time to talk about this here. But the, the overreaction seems just gross to me that we are people are talking about show like, listen he's not getting the I, I mean frankly i never thought he was getting the three quarters of a billion 750 million dollar contract he was going to get people were talking about or 800 million dollars that was never going to happen it just wasn't happening we just weren't going to see that um i mean he's what 20 how old is he 27 29 it, they teams would have had to pay him over 15 yeah. 20 years which just wasn't going to happen. They just, we're not going to see that. Um, that said, I do think he's still going to get a half a million, half a billion dollars. Um, he's still going to get a $500 million contract. I mean, Aaron judge got 400 million last year. Um, because he was the best hitter in baseball. Right. And he was been the, maybe the best hitter, one of the best three hitters in baseball over the last, you know, what his, his whole MLB service time going back to 2017, 2016, when he came, came in as a rookie. So, when you look at that and you go, someone's going to pay Shohei that much money to be a DH. Yeah, they would. First of all, second of all, because he's not pitching next year. Doesn't mean he's never pitching again. Not to mention if he has Tommy John at the end of the season in, in, you know, October, say October 5th, theoretically he could pitch in a relief role in the postseason. The, the next year, I mean, Walker Bueller had Tommy John around this time last year and is going to pitch for the Dodgers in the postseason in a starting capacity. It sounds like he's not going to pitch right now. But he's gonna he's gonna pitch about a year out. So if we're talking about Shohei getting surgery on October fifth, roughly, the guy's already this anomaly of an athlete. What's to say he can't have a, a phenomenal recovery and pitch in a relief, you know, in a relief capacity in the playoffs for a team? I'll get to who the team's gonna be in a second, but uh, you know, there's no reason he's not gonna get paid. There's absolutely no reason he doesn't get he doesn't get the, the money. I think this overreaction of, oh my goodness, no one's gonna pay him this money because he doesn't pitch anymore. He's still the best hitter in baseball. He's still, the, I mean, statistically speaking, <laughs> I know he's not having like 
the he's not batting 350, but no one bats 350, right? I mean, he's hitting 305. He's hit 44 homers with 90. He's gonna hit he's gonna hit 100, 50 homers and 110 RBIs probably. He's the best hitter in baseball, right? It doesn't matter. He's gonna get the 500 million dollar contract regardless. And again, he's going he's going to pitch again. Will he be 31? Yeah, it sucks, but that's just how it is, right? So everyone's screaming about how he's not going to get this contract and it's kind of throwing people off. He's getting the contract. He's also going to be a Dodger. And I'm not saying this is like a homer. I'm saying this looking at what a team just did over the last two years. They didn't make a big sign. I mean, they signed Freddie Freeman, but that was kind of an impromptu move because he, you know, his manager basically called and said they called Atlanta's bluff. And then when you look at what they did in the offseason, all J.D. Martinez, David Peralta, uh, Jason Hayward, Cindergaard was on a one-year deal. Lance Lynn's on a one-year deal that they traded for. All these guys are on one-year deals. They didn't sign anyone big this offseason. They're they're positioning for this guy. And the only the only owner in in baseball that was going to outbid the Dodgers was 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 um, Steve Cohen in in New York. And they're out. They're they're not pursuing him now. They're just they're they're rebuilding. They're not going to do it. He doesn't want to go there because they're rebuilding. He wants to go win. He's going to be a Dodger. I mean, whatever the odds are on Dodgers versus the not just anyone's. I'd say the field of 29, 29 other teams. I'd take the Dodgers. I'll take the odds because I think that's what's going to happen. Andrew Friedman in this front office have been sitting on this for two three years now. Okay? They've been planning. They didn't pay Trey Turner. They didn't even make a run at him. They didn't even make a contract offer at him. Honestly. I mean, they made offers throughout the season, and when they got to the postseason, they really didn't go to the table and try and break bread. They knew we wanted out, and we're going to compete. They didn't, they didn't try and keep Corey Seager in California. They didn't pay Cody Bellinger. I mean, he's going to be a Dodger. I'm not again. I'm not saying this is like a homer. I think this is a fair take that executives around baseball are also saying, right? I mean, Buster only talked about, oh, maybe they don't pursue him as hard, but I, I'm not buying it. I think, I think he's he's still getting 500 million dollars. Or six hundred million dollars, and he's still going to the Dodgers. Um, his his path hasn't changed. He just his year has his next year has changed from a playing standpoint, but his path, his career path, I don't think has changed at all. Yeah, I think it's definitely interesting to see what and when happens with this whole situation. Um, Agreed. Over the next however many months into the off season, um, but moving into the NL MVP. Uh, kind of predictions and race uh, pretty much a three man race and Acuna, Freddie Freeman and Mookie Betts. Uh, it's it's going to be interesting to see how it goes because Acuna has been hot all season. Betts has been the hottest as of well, the last three weeks and Freeman's just been consistent. I think he leads the league in hits overall. Um, so yeah, I mean, coming down to the end, it could still change it. I feel like it's, back and forth uh but yeah i mean i don't know who i would pick as of now i think it's close between acuna and bets but i mean we still have what 35 games left so a lot can change and i'll be interested to see who ends up you know either pulling away or just winning it based off votes yeah um i mean shoot going back from post all-star break mookie bets has probably been the hottest hitter in baseball certainly in the month of august i mean he's Literally, I think batting was 500. He batted 615 the last seven days, which is absurd. Um, uh, it's probably in the last week, it has probably become a two horse race 
Not to say that Freddie Freeman's out of it because he's still batting 341 and leads the league in hits and, you know, all that stuff. I think he also leads the league in total bases, if I'm not mistaken. No, he's Shohei does. Of course Shohei does. In the National League, he leads the National League in total bases. Um, his OPS is still super high. It's higher than Acuna's. His slug's higher. Um, on base is higher. That said, actually, I think he might lead baseball in on base. He does. He leads. He leads all baseball and all. So that's that's going for him. That said, his power and and you know run producing is not going to be what what that of Mookie and Acuna's is going to be. Um, I guess really what's going to separate Morning. Mookie Betts versus Acuna is going to be how is Mookie's greater power at 35 bombs and 90 RBIs probably going to hit 40, you know, 41, 42, and like 105, 110 RBIs versus. Acuna probably only gets to 34 and 90 RBIs, maybe, right? How are they going to value that versus the fact that Acuna is probably going to get 30-60? Now, I think the 30-60 like, stat is not arbitrary, but um, I think it means a little less than it used to. Obviously, no one's ever done it, but think about like 30-30 guys. He's still going to steal 60 bases, probably 70 bases. Um, but it's going to be like, how do they value the war? And I think the fact that Mookie's war is a whole a full game over a game greater than Acuna's is why he's now the betting favorite. Um, it's also going to be a voters care about defense. Mookie Betts has been a gold glover at two positions this year at right field and, and at second base, whereas Acuna plays average to maybe above average defense in right field. I mean, he has a cannon, but he's not making the, he's not a, he's not running it up in assists or put outs uh, or I guess outfield assists. And he, I don't know if he's really an elite fielder of the baseball as opposed to some of his outfield counterparts, like you know Corbin Carroll, um, Mookie Betts, guys of that nature. So I mean, even Christian Yelich is a guy who's, who has really high OPS this year. I'm just looking at the, literally looking at the stats right here. So I'm looking at these names, but um, I just wonder if that's going to come into play. You know, right? I I want I don't know I don't have I don't have a baseball reference in front of me. It's where I'd be able to find it. But like the fielding war versus batting war, you can probably find, you can break, break down on baseball reference. I don't have it pulled up in front of me, but that's going to be a big part of it. I think um, that said, Acuna has been the up until the all-star break he was the best player in baseball statistically, probably maybe other than Shohei. Okay. So we'll take him out of the equation because he's an anomaly. He's been the best player in baseball since the all-star break, but, or before the all-star break, but it's not a half season award. So um, we'll see. It's going to be interesting, dude. I, Mookie Betts is hitting 315. He's got a slash line of 315, 407, 611. 300, 400, 600 is rare error, and he's 15 points above it in average and almost 10 above it in each other's stat. With the, I mean, he's again behind Shohei. He's leading baseball in in, in OPS. So it, it, the power is probably going to be what separates him if he wins it. The power and defense, or are people going to care more about the the uh, the on base, or I guess the, rather the, 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 the hits total and speed of Acuna, right? So that's what it's going to come down to. Yeah, two somewhat different players. Um, you know, there's there are fields you can compare them in, but overall they do have similarities. Um, and whether it's Betts or Acuna or anyone else, um, probably not going to be decided here for at least a couple more weeks. Yeah. Um, Moving on here to the Cy Young, or the AL Cy Young started off. Uh, my pick's going to be Garrett Cole. Uh, he's just been the most consistent. I think he's had like two bad starts the whole season. 
I think he leads the AL in quality starts. Uh, he's leads the AL in ERA or tied for the lead right now. Um, so yeah, I mean, I'm just going with him and yeah, I think he's going to win. What would that be? His second or third? I think his third, he won one in Houston, right? Yeah. He won one in Houston. Yeah. I think he won one in Pittsburgh too. Did he not? No, he didn't. I'm looking right now. I just Googled him. Uh, it would be his. Does he not want a Cy Young? There's no way Garrett Cole's never won a Cy Young, right? This would be shocking. He finished second in 2019. Finished second in 2021. Wow, he's not won a Cy Young before. That's shocking because in what in 17 he was like just st- or was it 18 or 19? Whichever year that Houston went to the the postseason. It was his first season in Houston. He, had a, he was ridiculous. Yeah. Um, that's shocking. Wow. All right. Well, yeah. uh, I'm picking Garrett Cole, too, then. I mean, I was always going to, but he's leading, barely leading in ERA. I mean, he's the odds-on favorite. He's, he has minus odds at every major sports book right now. Um, not that I mean, it means something, but it doesn't mean everything. That said, he's got um, third-best ERA in baseball. He's struck out 180 people. 180 batters, got a top five whip. Um, every every metric you want to look at, this guy's a top 10 pitcher in baseball. Um, the wit, I, personally, I don't love win losses, and we'll get to this with the National League guys in a second, because um, there is one of the guys that I think has an inflated win record or win number. Um, I mean, 11 wins is still really solid. I think, you, like you said, he's had what two bad starts all year, maybe, which is incredible. Um, so, again, it's, it's got to be Garrett Cole. In the National League, it's a little trickier because I think it's a it's a three-horse race between uh, Zach Allen, Blake Snell, and Spencer Strider. Although I really think it's kind of a two-horse race. When you look at the, st- like the statistics behind it of, of Snell and Gallon, uh, I'm taking Zach Gallon because I think he's going to have better run support behind him, which is always easier to pitch with. Um, the... <laughs> The Padres are in the middle of like an epic collapse right now, and they have been for the last month, right? But they, I mean, they, the 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 clubhouse looks just torn apart right now, and I think that's going to be a tough thing to go pitch behind, right? And so I, I think Zach Gallon's going to win again. He's the odds-on favorite at all four major sports books. He's minus 105, as opposed to Snell's around my plus 300, plus 310, plus 320. Yeah, not that that means everything, but it means something. Betters are taking. Gallon for a reason. I think when you break down the statistics, Snell's got the leading ERA in baseball at a 2.73, which is not, by the way, bad year for pitchers at the leading ERA is a 2.73. I'll put that out there. Um, but I think when you look at kind of dig deeper, Snell's 37th of 57 qualified pitchers in WHIP, which is walks, hits per inning pitched. Gallon's number seven. Um, He's .06 behind the leader at Luis 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 Castillo at a one flat. Um, I believe he also has a higher WAR. He does not. What? Well, yes, he does. Sorry, he got a higher WAR uh, a little bit. Pitching WAR is a little complicated. Um, K's are they're separated by five, but um, I do think that the the overall resume that Gallon's going to bring to the table, as well as the quality starts being three more, 
then what Snell has is going to push him over the top kind of at the end of the season. I don't really expect their numbers to change all that much more in the next month. Um, ERAs can be lowered, of course, but I don't know how much everything else is really going to separate from one another, right? Quality starts, whip, K-rate, whatever you want to call it. I will say Snell walks a lot of batters. He's walked 80 hitters this year, which ranks first, or sorry, worst of all qualified pitchers. Um, so I think there's like there's some really good metrics for Snell. There's some really bad metrics for Snell, whereas I think you look at Zach Gallon is – Top 10 in nearly everything, it feels like. So. Right. I mean, I, I was between Snell and Gallon. Honestly, I think that's probably the two most likely candidates. Um, but ERA is the main thing that for me is why I would put Snell. Um, I think he's been he he's been hotter as of late. Uh, Gallon's been more consistent. But Snell, I mean, the past, what, two months um a little bit before the deadline going into now he's been really really good um a lot of those numbers were are inflated because of how he was early in the season and i mean if you're looking for a guy at his peak i'm taking snell like at your peak performance in a given season but gallon nonetheless he has been more consistent more you know some of his stats are better like you said but i don't know i mean Gallon probably wins it just because he's more consistent in his stats and doesn't have any bad metrics, and that he hasn't won it before. I think that plays a little bit of a factor as well. But that'll be another interesting one. I think it's probably between those two, like I said. But nonetheless, an award that's not decided yet uh, with also throw in games. I I do wonder how much, like you mentioned, the early season starts were bad for Snell, and he couple games he didn't even get out of like the third second third inning gallons right now has pitched 26 more innings which is if you go nine that's three full starts and their games started are one set are separated by one so i it begs the question they're probably going to start roughly the same amount of games one or two you know here or there one will be the separator right so if they're going to start the same or Gallon starts one more game, but he's got two more innings worth of pitching or two more games, full games worth of pitching. Really, if you average it, say he goes six or seven, say he goes six each outing, that's three more games worth of pitching he's going to have. I do wonder if that plays into it just because there's such a wide discrepancy. That said, I think Gallon might be one of the highest used pitchers this year. He's number three, tied for third in qualified pitchers of innings pitched, so um he's getting a lot of usage which certainly helps that said again that's just a our voters gonna knock the early season struggles right like you said so they're gonna take the hottest pitcher shoot it's probably like snow like you said so it'll be i think it'll be a that'll be a sneaky good race down to um probably shoot i mean probably to the last week because the diamondbacks are gonna have to be they're gonna have to play all like they're gonna be playing everybody like you look at the dodgers and the and, and the and the braves like Strider, who we were to talk about, I mean, not really. He's just he has the best, most wins in baseball and most Ks, I think. But his win number is inflated because the Braves are a machine right now and have been all year. But like, he's not gonna pitch seven innings in their last two weeks. They're gonna rest him, right? Like Clayton Kershaw is not pitching seven innings for the Dodgers in back-to-back starts before the playoffs. Zach Gallon's gonna have to do that so they can make the wild card, right? That's another thing I put in there. And if and I do think if he does, because I think the Padres are probably out of it now. 
nine games below 500 in a stack and a wild card race. I do wonder if voters, if Zach Gallon goes out and has a monster last start, he goes seven, seven scoreless and they win the game and it helps him get to the postseason. That's probably, even if Snell goes out and shuts and pitches a, a, a complete game shutout, I think the importance of the game that Gowan will pitch, should that play out that way, I think would push him over the mark, even if maybe Snell finishes the year on a on a higher statistical note. Does that make sense? Like I think the importance of the games Gowan's going to pitch is going to help him in this race. Yeah. Um, which I think, again, voters care about the, the importance of the games you're playing, too, which is just kind of a thing I just thought about um, that I'd throw in there before we get to um, rookies. Yeah, no, I mean, it makes sense. I mean, it's going to come down to what voters are looking for, and I think that changes with each award and with each year. And so it'll be interesting to see kind of what they prioritize this year in a candidate that they want to win the award. Um, Moving on to rookie here, AL Rookie of the Year, I'm picking Gunnar Henderson. Uh, you know, the first six, seven weeks of the season, it wasn't looking good. Uh, but since then, he's been by far the best rookie. Um, I mean, there's no reason he shouldn't win it if he, unless he, like, just completely disappears. Um, but he's had a huge impact. He's a great infielder defensively. Uh, he's played primarily short and third. Can play second as well. And then... He's a great hitter, you know, kind of the three, four hitter most of the time in the lineup. And all buddy can fly. Let me tell you. When I went to that that Dodgers Orioles game in Baltimore, dude was moving on that triple. Let me tell you. He yeah. was hauling. Um no, it's gonna be Gunnar Henderson. Had you had had we talked about this at the all-star break, I would have pushed back and said Josh Young because he's an all-star game starter. That said, he he's missed what everything post All Star All Star break basically. I think he's coming back right now. Is that right? I have not. Other than the Rangers sucking sure. in the last twenty games, I've not really followed them much in the last month. Um, yeah. But I think he's coming back either now or in the next couple of weeks. But again, he's missed so much time. It's going to be Gunner. He's it, Young's not making up for the for the lost time. Um, unless Gunner like doesn't play the next. 35, 30, you know, 30-ish games, and Young goes into just, like, Mookie bets mode and, and hits 450 for the whole month of September. Okay, maybe we'll talk again about this, but it's going to be Gunner, I think. Again, barring some outlandish circumstances, Gunner's going to win this. Um, even more so in the National League, Corbin Carroll's been the runaway MVP. Runaway Rookie of the Year since late May, mid-May, mid to late May. After April, it was James Outman. Because Carroll hadn't blown up yet, and Outman looked like the best rookie in baseball. He has a horrid month of May and June. He's actually turned around a lot of late, so shout out to Outman. He's been, uh, I think he's probably the most underappreciated rookie, maybe. Um, She's on the Dodgers and whatever. But uh, Corbin Carroll in the MVP race up until probably three weeks ago, and it really wasn't a race anymore between kind of, second third fourth place um that said he's probably going to finish top five in voting if i had to bet um it's it'll probably go either acuna bets one or two freeman olsen and then probably corbin carroll if i had to probably right i mean it's got to be corbin right he's yeah had a great year. i he looks like a superstar. So. i don't know what his numbers are as of late i guess i could look what the odds are but um well, I can I can look at the odds while you talk about uh, or uh, NL rookie of the year if you want. I mean, I don't know if I didn't score. Yeah, no, I mean, 
pretty much the same stuff. Corbin Carroll is my pick as well. Um, you know, he's kind of the spark that the D-backs needed, and even though they cooled off from what they were, um, you know, kind of leading up to the All-Star break, he's been really consistent, really fast. Uh, he kind of, like I said, gives them the spark and kind of, you know, second or I think he's third in the league with steals at 40. Um, it's just great to see a young guy performing well on a team that didn't have business being great, uh, but they've been they've been good uh, for most of the season. Like I said, have slumped lately, but nonetheless can make it back and you know be the one seed wild card uh, team. You know with you know a few games going their way, so uh, he's had a big impact throughout, and I think regardless of how the D-backs finish, he should be the winner. No, he he and he will. I think as much as the Gunnar Henderson race is out of hand, the Corbin Carroll race is even more out of hand. There's nobody even approaching him as a rookie in the National League. You can talk about Bryce Elder, Ellie De La Cruz, Matt McClain, the lefty for the Reds. It doesn't matter. Like all these guys are pairing, pairing pale in comparison to what Corbin Carroll has done this year. So it's it's not even a race. Um. I can talk manager of the year if you want to. It should be Bruce Bochy. Should it? It's him or it's um. I'm gonna forget your guys' manager name. It's him or it's it's Bochy yeah, in, in I'm Texas. I'm going our manager. Guys. So it's one of the two. You're gonna yeah. if, if so. Well, if the Rangers can hold on and win the division, maybe it's them because they were so bad last year. And granted, the Orioles almost made the playoffs last year. That said, if the Orioles finish with the best record in the American League, how do you not give it to them, right? In the National League, brother, I don't know. It should probably be. Well, it should probably be Tory, honestly. It probably should be, because when you look at what the Diamondbacks have done, it's got to be Tory, right? Yeah, I don't. The, we'll see how they finish, but it. I mean, he's definitely probably a top candidate. Here's the thing, like. With the Dodgers, like, Snip isn't going to win it. Neither is Dave because they were both expected to be the best teams in baseball. Like, everyone went into the year thinking, yeah, the Braves and the Dodgers should con- – I don't know if they're going to win the division, but they should contend for the division. I know there's a lot of talk about the, the Phillies. I mean, I'm guilty of that. I picked the, I think they picked the Phillies to win the division on this podcast, which is a tough look. Uh, at least they didn't pick the Mets. Did you pick the Mets? I hope you didn't pick no, the Mets. I That's also the a tough to look. to go, like, all the way. Oh, you did. Yeah. If you did pick the Braves to win it all this year, um, shoot, where is it? Now I'm looking because I'm curious. Uh, whatever. Um, regardless, the um, like the Braves and the Dodgers were supposed to be good. Diamondbacks were supposed to suck, and they're gonna make the playoffs. It's maybe the top wild card seed. So I feel like it's gotta be Tori Lovello. Also very deserving, by the way. Tori Lovello is an awesome dude. Everyone in baseball has everyone who I've heard speak about him is kind of has just wonderful things to say about him. He won it in 2017. Um, and he's kind of held on as this manager. They just talk about him getting canned in the last couple of years. Um, but yeah, he, he's an awesome dude. He's very deserving. I think he probably wins it. Um, I think he probably wins it in the national league. Who, I mean, I don't know who else would win. Right. I, just, I would suggest I look, Craig council. Uh, Brewers, but I don't know. 
No. The, but the Brewers are, were supposed to be decent. They were, I mean, they, they were, what, probably favored to win the division? Or second, probably the second favorite. Cardinals were favored to win the division. Yeah. Probably the second favorite to win that division, right? They were, I don't know, I feel like, you, I feel like it's got to be, it's got to be uh, Tory. And maybe it's not. If they finish the year terrible, maybe it might be. Again, if they finish the year poorly and it could just default to Snit or Doc, whoever, which whoever's team is the one seed could default. Yeah. Or if they're tied, you can say, OK, we'll give it to Dave Roberts because they were in a rebuild, quote, rebuild year for their standards. I don't know. Maybe you give it to the Brit. Maybe you give it to Snit because of the injuries I dealt with. Dude, I don't know. Whatever. Doesn't really matter. Um mm-hmm. <laughs> It's arbitrary at this point. We we don't know. It, it should be Tory and it should be one of those two in the American League. Are there any other MVP or MVP? Any other baseball awards we can talk about, or we just want to get to golf? Not that I can think of. No, I don't think there I is. Can't. All right, golf time. All right. Uh, so I guess what was it yesterday? The PGA Tour season finished up, and uh, I briefly recap the three. Big events that just took place. So the first one on August 10th through the 13th had the FedEx St. Jude Championship. That took place at TBC Southwind in Memphis, Tennessee. And surprisingly, the 43-year-old Lucas Glover, a Clemson graduate, I believe, won what was an exciting event at 15 under. He took home 3.6 mil. He edged out Patrick Cantlay, who won a playoff champion, or a playoff event last year. Playoff tournament event last year and he beat Cantley in a one hole playoff and Cantley took home 2.16 so almost a mil and a half drop off from losing the playoff but uh you know Cantley's not hurting um he was one of the six Ryder Cup locks for the Ryder Cup upcoming on September 29th I'll talk about in a little bit the following week from August 17th to 20th the BMW Championship took place at Olympia Fields Country Club in Olympia Fields, Illinois. Victor Hovland won that event by two strokes at 17 under. Took home 3.6 mil himself as the events had the same purse of 20 mil. Matt Fitzpatrick and Scotty Scheffler tied for second at 15 under. So uh, impressive win from Hovland. High, high stakes match as we close out the season. And then the final match of the season. Concluded yesterday, the Tour Championship wrapped up at East Lake Golf Club in Atlanta, Georgia. Victor Hovland won another event for a second consecutive week, took home a whopping 18 mil as he became the FedEx Cup champion. Uh, he finished at 27 under, beating out Xander Shoffley by five strokes. He finished at 22 under. The next closest golfer was at 16 under. So um, Xander, Xander always plays well in these final tournaments um gold medalist from the past olympics really really easy guy to root for as is victor hovland um but yeah both those guys played incredible golf this past week rory mcelroy i know didn't get a lot of uh publicity recently but he finished top five and i think all three events so he had a really really good past month to close out the season as well as he's going to be one of the top guys on that international team for the Ryder cup the cumulative scores were very spread out Hovland's dominance over the final two tournaments uh, proved to be more than enough to take home the FedEx Cup title, honestly. Uh, he took home the highest single-season earnings in PGA Tour history, largely thanks to the race purses this season to counteract what the Live Tour was doing. But 
However, still really, really impressive. Took home almost 22 mil over the past eight days between this tournament and last. And, I mean, he just had a great all-around season and just capped it off with his hottest stretch all season. So um, you like to see it from guys like him. Uh, I think a lot of the guys that have stuck with the PGA Tour and played really well have reaped the benefits of the higher purses, um, you know, more positive publicity around them, and overall just better – gamesmanship from those guys and they've kind of built a core together um which should be interesting to see how that plays out in the Ryder Cup as I'll talk about in a few minutes but yeah uh past three weeks to close out the season were a lot of fun um a lot of close golf obviously I said the opening event in Memphis was a playoff finisher the last two not quite as close but nonetheless a lot of fun golf my king Chipotle guac king Victor Hovland. So I, I'm curious. You say what he took home 22 and a half million this year. You said roughly, or you said in the last three couple weeks. Yeah. He took home the most earnings in PGA history. What's the per? I, I, it, I I'm, I'm not asking if you because you know. I, like, do what do we think the percentage is? Do we think he's taken home the highest percentage of earnings in a year? Right, because it's it's obviously inflated because of the fact they're giving up more earnings of the money distributed. What's the right. highest percentage ever taken home by a guy? So maybe it is Holland. Maybe he had this historic year. But I would be curious to know, like, what's the highest percentage of a, of overall, like, money distributed, dollars distributed, has a guy taken home in a PGA season? I think it'd be interesting to know, kind of looking at it as more of, like, a less of an aggregate number and more of, like, a kind of a percentage number, kind of a proportionate or proportional distribution yeah. statistic. Yeah, honestly, I've... I bet Tiger has, you know, the top few um, back between 2000 and 2007. Is really his hottest stretch. He had, I mean, 2009 he was really good, uh, and a couple good years since then. But yeah, I mean, between 2000 and 2007 he was winning like 40% of the events. So I would think probably him for a few years, and then Hovland. I don't know where Hovland would place. I think. Scheffler last year is probably close as well, percentage-wise. Uh, I think he had six wins last year. And then not sure who else. Maybe Spieth in like 2017, 2016 is another contender percentage-wise. Um, but yeah, just in terms of thinking of dominance over the course of one PGA Tour season. Um, you know, Howard, Rory may have had a couple of years there in like the mid-2010s, maybe. maybe. Yeah, that's something to think about, but I don't. I don't know who other than Tiger would contend for those top spots. Yeah. Just a curious, a curious number. Obviously, again, you thought talking about, wow, this is the most money as anyone's ever taken home. Yeah. It's obviously inflated a little bit, like you said, but it, I'd be curious to know what the percentage is. And maybe, and maybe it's not even the best way to look at it. Maybe it's like average percentage dollars per purse. Cause I don't, I mean, I guess I'll ask this question. How, like have, has, have they raised or changed percentages percentage payouts or is it all the same percentages with bigger purse numbers or have they changed uh, payout percentages for each guy like for as first, far as second, i third, know so on as far as i know the percentages have stayed the same okay so you could you could look at it as like an overall distribution because if they have changed the percentages for certain events like they've made they've increased or decreased the majors with the bigger yeah. purses maybe you look at it on a, on a an average percentage take home per event just to kind of get a better picture of like who the really truly the most dominant golfer in a season's been like money wise. Obviously, like mm-hmm. it's probably Tiger with pure wins. 
or like aggregate, like, you know, an average of finishes. Um, but I would be curious to know, like money wise, who's, you know, who shows up when the more, when the big money's in the line, first of all, like it's great to win a tournament with a, you know, a purse of like two mil, but it's cool to, it's better to win a tournament with a purse of like, you know, 20 mil, right? 30 mil. So, um, just curious to kind of know dollars wise. I mean, it's easy to go look at like total strokes for the whole year. That's easy, right? That's an easy thing to go look at or total wins or average finish. But I like to know money wise, like who's, who's got the, the, you know, who's got the chops when it comes to the big dollars. I'd be curious to know. Yeah, it'd be interesting to see a, you know, kind of a spreadsheet of wins in a season and then how that translates to payout in a season. So, yeah. Um, yeah, I think that honestly wrap up um, the show for the most part. We're going to finish with the ice bath here. I'll kick it off and I'll let you finish it. Um, so the Ryder Cup, like I just said, tees off September 29th. It's a every four-year tournament, and it is a U.S. team versus a national team. And each team has 12 players and one captain. That's a former player or a current player, but a little bit older than the guys in the field. So in the international team, it should be loaded this year. You're going to see guys like John Rahm, Roy McIlroy, Victor Hovland, um, who am I forgetting? Shane Lowry probably have a pretty big um, role on that team, but 12 of the top international guys. And then you're also going to have 12 of the top U.S. guys, which was a big question going into it. The way the selections work, so you're probably like, how do these guys get selected? Are they just the top guys? So the top six guys for each the U.S. and the international team are automatic picks. So they're locks. Um, for the U.S., it was Max Homa, Patrick Cantlay, Wyndham Clark, who won the uh, – what major was it? I think U.S. Open. Scotty Scheffler, of course. Brian Harmon, who won the British Open. And then Xander Shoffley, who's just one of the most consistent guys outside of Scheffler. Um so that leaves six picks remaining. You're looking at Kepka, DeChambeau's an option, Spieth, um, Justin Thomas, Ricky Fowler. Those are all guys that could and probably will make it. Colin Morikawa is going to make it. Um, so it should be really fun to watch this year. Uh, What's going to be a loaded field on both sides. going to be a little bit different because each day there's a different format of play. So it's four ball, four some best ball, however it may be. It's what that day and that's how you determine pairings within your team and who you want to face and then go on the course you know 2v2 tees off and then 20 minutes later the next 2v2 so all these guys are finishing pretty close to each other and it's all fun to see you know if you if your team wins so let's say it's u.s versus international 2v2 and u.s wins the match play format they get one point for the team and I think it's out of 32 points. So the first team to get 16 and a half wins the Ryder Cup. And so it's normally every four years. I think it's three years this time because it was delayed a year because of COVID. Um, but yeah, it should be a lot of fun to watch. My favorite golf tournament, uh, just with the not only the um, international competitiveness, but it's just ramped up because, you know, you're playing for your country or team and everything team based is a lot more passion and energy and you know you see guys yelling when you never would think they would on the pga tour so it's a lot of fun i'm really looking forward to it i'm definitely going to be tuned in um i think all five days 
Or for my guy, Colin Morikawa. It's been, a, it's been a tougher year for him as opposed to expectations. That's an important for my guy. Um, the Ryder Cup's always good. It's always it's a unique event, right? It's not uh, it's not your traditional big time golf event, which is always fun. Um, that said, my ice bath this week I've kind of got two. They're both quick though. Uh, the first one is that about 13 months, almost to the day, 13 months to the day on Saturday, um, after the Padres literally sold the farm to get Juan Soto. Uh, them and the Nationals have the same record at 61 and 70, which is not good. Um, a team that's supposed to be a World Series contender, if not favorite, going into the year is going to miss the playoffs, which I think is sh- surprising. I'm like I'm less surprised because I've seen the organizational failure at within that club for a lot of years now. I mean, going back to 2020 when they kind of burst on the scene, they've been this team that's supposed to make this run and they never do, never get it done. Um, Interesting that kind of how it played out with Soto. I hope he figures it out. I don't think he's going to be back there long term. Is he a free agent this year or next? Do we know? I believe um, next year. Contract. You probably hit the keys clicking on my laptop. Um, Spot track will tell me. I'll tell you that much. He is a free agent this year. Actually, he's got another year of ARB. So he's got, he'll be a free agent 25 at 26 years old. I don't think he's going to stay with them. A lot can change in a year. I just, um, I think it's interesting when you're looking at the like the dichotomy of how these guys' careers can or trades can can go. Um, with Soto gets the the, the Padres. Obviously, he's been he's been a good. He's been an All Star, but I think you look at what the Nationals have going right now with the two top pieces coming back in that trade of Mackenzie Gore and and CJ Abrams are both breaking out in real time and becoming you know budding stars in this league. So. Just an interesting thing to look at. Um, I'm be I'm I'm choosing the Nationals as my I don't know my second team, but like I'm I'm wearing a Nationals hat right now because I'm gonna be living there when I graduate, which is sick. Um, it's a conversation for another time probably, but went to a couple of Nationals again this summer when I was up in the DMV. Um, they suck right now. I might as well get on the bandwagon before they get good again when Cruz gets to the league and CJ Abrams really breaks out of the top shortstop. But I think it's just interesting to see, you know, 13 months later almost that um, a team that was supposed to be the worst team in baseball this year um, or one of the worst teams in baseball this year and a team that's supposed to win the World Series or even at, six, at you know, nine games below 500. Um, you know, for one team, that's a tragically bad season. For one team, that's an ahead of schedule season, um, both involved in the trade. So, Interesting to see that. Um, hoping I get to see Dylan Cruz uh, in the majors next year when I'm up there. Um, but yeah, mother, mother, ice bath. Really, just that I'm so I'm so full of life because college football is back. Um, it was we got a little taste of it on Saturday uh, with some horrendous matchups of ranked teams. I, I didn't get to watch the SC game because Pac-12 Network is the worst and is not carried by any major provider or streamer. I believe Fubo TV is the biggest streamer with a one day free trial, which I was not about to do. And um, because I'm going to need that later on when they, you know, probably going to play Utah on the Pac-12 network because why not? Um, And Dish is the biggest cable provider. So don't have Dish. Um, So couldn't watch the game, watch the Notre Dame game, which was an absolute blowout to say the least um but no it, college football is, is so back we have florida at utah on thursday which i'm geeked about um that can be a competitive game hopefully utah is a great environment at that stadium uh out in, out in salt lake city and um 
dude, like it's 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 on this weekend. Like it is so I cannot wait to wake up at eight in the morning, seven thirty probably, so I can get up, have a cup of coffee. I'm not, I guess a, a cup of tea, peach iced tea. If anyone's curious, unsweet. That's what I'm drinking in the morning now. I Brett's shaking his head. God, such a hate. You're such a, you're such a food hater. God, as if I didn't know mm-hmm. that. As if I don't know that about you. Um, yeah. as if we haven't discussed on this podcast, by the way. I digress again. Um, I can't wait to wake up and turn on game day and hear, like, hear the theme music play as I wake in the morning on Saturday. And I can't wait for uh, a full day of college football Saturday. I'm pumped. Um, Tech plays Wyoming, I believe, six o'clock, six thirty. Yeah, in uh, Wyoming, I so I'm pumped six. for that. Six. I'm just pumped in general. Coach will be back. I'm super excited. It's the best sport to watch um, of all of them. Better than NFL football. Better than baseball. Better than basketball. Better than any other sport. College football is where it's at, and I'm I'm so excited for it to be back. And um, like I said, full of life. So, with that said, unless you have any other, any other closing remarks, that kind of wraps us up today. We'll have Thursday turf talk coming out Thursday morning at 7 a.m. 8 a.m. One of the two, I think 7 a.m. Central is when I said it for uh, last time, so I'll keep that consistent. Um, but unless you have any other closing remarks, that's all we got today. Yeah, I think we're good to go. Um, good to get back doing this, like I said, on a, this past Thursday. But, uh, yeah, episode 51. We'll see you all in a couple days with Thursday Turf Talk. And, yeah, we got some big predictions that we're, we'll be making. We're going to recap our Big picks, time. not really recap them, but basically just say what our records were um, and look forward to this upcoming weekend of truly the opening weekend of college football. So should be a lot of fun, a lot of enticing matchups for a week one non-conference slate. And yeah, we'll see you all in a couple of days. See you guys soon.